So I, I was influenced by lifestyle factors of an encouragement to eat everything on my plate and then some. And I probably had a genetic tendency. If I look at the fat distribution on my mom or my dad's side, I saw tendencies and I seemed to get the fat genes from both sides of the family. I, 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 I want you to know, just before we get started, um, I've done this talk on you know, a number of occasions, yet I spent about two and a half days preparing for the talk, adding to my slides, my research, my information, uh, since I wanted this talk to be uh, fit the, the, the title well, which is Scientific Methods to Reduce Fat, Genetic or Lifestyle Obesity. And if, if, if you think about it, um, you know, people are overweight for various reasons. And I, I just, before we get going, you know, into the slides and everything, give me some ideas of what you think the reason why people are um, overweight or have too much body fat. Just give me, off the top of your head, what, what, would, what would tell you some of the principal reasons? Huh? Lack of Stress, okay. Exercise. Lack of exercise, definitely. Uh, eating the, the wrong food. Eating the wrong food. So, so why do people eat the wrong food? Why do they do it? They don't have the time to actually cook the right food and they go by the easy going to okay. restaurants. And All right. Know. Convenience foods. They do the fast food yeah. thing, right? Huh? Okay. Why else? Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. True. Or what if they have the knowledge? How come they're fat? Huh? <laughs> what do you think? I mean, you know. Maybe they, perhaps they like food. Uh, okay. They don't pay attention. They live, they live to eat instead of eat to live? Yeah. Well, I think most people like to eat food, but some people like to eat it more and gain more pleasure from it. More than that, they don't seem to have a signal to shut it off, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, if 10 people sit at a table and they're all have access to the same, say, buffet foods, why will one of them go back 10 times to get 10 plates of food and the other one will eat one or two plates worth and they're satisfied? What's the difference? So we've even gone further and we've looked at primates. I mean, monkeys are the closest to us. And we've examined if they have food ad lib to eat as much as they want. And some of the monkeys stay lean and fit regardless of how much food's available and other monkeys get real fat so is there a genetic component so so let, let's get a little further if it's aging are we are we implying that there's a change in hormone levels with age okay so 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 either imbalances in hormones in young people who are overweight or as we age it's induced and it's caused and we develop problems with uh, fat retention uh, uh, associated with hormone changes, right? So, so this is good. This is good for you to recognize because it's easy for us who are in shape to point at other people who are not in shape and make assumptions of why they're overweight, right? H how about a lady who's just given birth to her fourth child? 
And what happens to almost every woman when she is pregnant and, and goes through the whole process of carrying a child and what happens to the body during that time that's probably a necessary survival mechanism for the child? What happens to her body? Yeah. Yeah. For energy and for yeah. Yeah. So the lady's not just going to gain the weight of the child. She's, she's going to gain weight uh, in terms of body fat through her hips her buttocks, her thighs, wherever she can store it to help to sustain that child and allow the child to, to grow to full term and get enough calories. So it's, it's interesting then as we start reviewing you know, the literature and the science, and that's why I decided to do the talk on scientific methods to reduce fat, genetic or lifestyle induced. So obviously genetic means that either your mom or your dad's side you have some other people if both the mom and dad's side have large people which means that they were born with more fat cells and the ability to retain or gain more body fat then your likelihood through uh, your teen years and uh, adulthood and as you, as you reach uh, an older age is very very high tendency to fulfill your genetic tendency, particularly if you go to the same refrigerator that the family taught you to enjoy and how to eat and what to eat, right? And you all have favorite mom's foods, right? There's those favorite dishes. I, I know I do. I mean, we, we were raised in this culture and, and part of love is making a healthy meal and making sure that you eat that full meal, that, that that's a way in our culture, in some cultures even more so, that we show love, right? And, and if that child doesn't get fed a, a full meal, you know, we're concerned. It's not like we've had, you know, famine in our culture in, in recent years, but in other cultures they have famine. So, so the, the reality is there are some starving people, and I, I don't know about you, but I heard the story, hey, there's children starving in India, you better eat everything on your plate, right? And if you're a man, you'll eat everything on your plate and as much as dad eats. How would you like to live up to that one? So if dad ate, you know, two servings of steak, I mean, I had to be right behind there and have two servings of steak and maybe one extra just to beat dad. So, so when I was 14 and uh, between the ages of, of 9 and 14, I got really heavy. I mean, I... I I remember uh, my, uh, my mom taking me to, to get a pair of, of jeans and Levi's and they didn't fit. And we had to go to another store to find oversized jeans to fit me. And, you know, I'd hear jokes about Omar the tent maker and I didn't know, what, what were they talking about? Omar the tent maker? And, you know, specially designed jeans and oversized clothes, right? Because I was a fat child. I was so fat when I was a child, uh, as, as, as an infant, they said I didn't walk for several years, I just kind of rocked in the middle of the floor. Uh, that's what they tell me. Maybe it's true. I saw pictures of me being pretty heavy. So I, I was influenced by lifestyle factors of an encouragement to eat everything on my plate, and then some, and I probably had a genetic tendency if I look at the fat distribution on my mom or my dad's side, I saw tendencies and I seem to get the fat genes from both sides of the family. So it's interesting for me that 
until I was about 12 or 13 years old, I struggled with being overweight, but it didn't bother me. I thought it was just normal to be a big kid. And then I'd get teased about it, and I started realizing, well, you know, there's a situation here that I need to address, but I couldn't do much about it. I didn't do anything about it until I remember uh, there was uh, the uh, school intramurals. And I think, I don't know what's going on this day and age, but they required intramurals and, and PE and physical activity. And so if I could get out on the field to play, I found out that I would miss lunch. Uh, and I could get out on the field and, and play and be out on the field longer. So just that very nature of missing lunch and going out to play athletics every day, I got to be a pretty good athlete, but I dropped a significant amount of body fat and I became a pretty good athlete, at least relative to my peers and the other kids my age. So that was my first experience of having been overweight all my life and then getting into pretty, pretty good shape. And so that first year, I wanted to play Pop Warner football. Well, they had weigh-ins. I had to make a certain weight because they didn't want big kids playing against littler kids. And I happened to be, at the time, uh, partly, I don't know, if I blame, blame my genetics in Latin, I grew really quickly and I was bigger and taller and heavier than other kids my age. So I remember I had to uh, make weights for Pop Warner, which was, if I remember, it was like 120 pounds or so, and I was weighing in at about 100 and, and uh, I think 30 or so. And that first year I made the weigh-ins, I lost the weight, I ran, I did extra activity, and, and I was in shape enough to, to play on the team. Well, the next year the coach liked me so much because I was a good player and I was bigger than all the other kids, he wanted me to be on the same team again the next year. But I was bigger the next year. And he wanted me to make weigh-ins. Well, my dad said, don't do it. He said, go play on uh, Junior Bantam, which was the next size up. Uh, but I'd have to drive all the way to Baldwin Park. And my mom said, oh, you can lose weight. You, you know, you, you have the discipline. So my coach was very influential. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll make it on your team. But that year I weighed over 155 pounds and I had to get to 115. And I wasn't that fat. I was a pretty big kid. I was almost five foot seven and 155, five eight, almost as tall as I am now. <laughs> I, I didn't grow much after that. So it started out in the season where I would just run extra after practice. I'd run about five miles extra. And that helped, I started dropping weight and I got down about 130 pounds, but I had to make 115 for the weigh-ins. And so that was my first experience with a severe diet. Uh, the coach said, well, you, you can live on egg whites and have a little cottage cheese. And I said, okay. So I started eating a couple, um, a couple eggs and, uh, and eating a little bowl of cottage cheese every day. And he said I had to run further so I'd run further, I'd run harder, and in the practice, instead of dogging it, as we say, I'd run faster and harder than anyone on the team, because I, I just I wanted to be a good player, but it also helped me to get in shape faster. So I got within five pounds of the weigh-ins, and I couldn't make it. I couldn't get down to 115, I was 120, and I couldn't get down. 
And I remember seeing a picture of me uh, if I stood sideways and I could count every one of my ribs and I was very, very skinny. I was tall and skinny. 5'8", 5'7", 5'8", and 120 pounds. So that last week, I gave up food and I remember crying myself to sleep at night, every night, because I was so hungry. And I remember running on an empty stomach running the mountains from Temple City up to Arcadia and back. And I remember it was pretty interesting because I remember experiencing a few runner's highs because I was so light, I had so much, you know, whatever muscle I had left, I had so much strength and endurance from running every night <laughs> to make weigh-ins and I had no body fat at all and I could run like crazy fast. I mean, it was, I felt like I was like floating. It was amazing. But then there came that time when I was so weak and hungry, the day of the game, I made the weigh-ins. Instead of 115, I weighed in at 113, and I fainted. And I remember my coach gave me some little white pills, and I don't know what they were, but I fainted. And I, I just, everything went black, and I, you know, I came too, but I, I just wanted to find out, did I make the weigh-ins? And I did. Well, I was excited and, and, and proud that I'd made the team, and then I found out I had to make weigh-ins every week oh. for the whole season. And after several weeks, they allowed growing kids to you know, spot them two pounds or three pounds or four pounds. By the end of the season, I think they spotted us five or 10 pounds. And I was playing, but I remember one game against the Rosemead Rebels, and I was on the El Monte Meteors, and I was... Uh, running with the ball and both my legs completely cramped up completely I, I had to be carried off the field because my electrolytes were so low because I was starving myself every day and dehydrating my body and trying to make the weigh-ins and I got back out on the field because I was a tenacious player and I, I could I could you know I didn't know what was going on my trace minerals were shot my electrolytes were out of balance and then the next game, I broke my hand in a game in my ribs. I broke my ribs in my hand, and it was an excuse to quit. So I went to my dad's restaurant tavern, and I ate all week long. I ate from morning till night because he had food available at the restaurant. And I just remember eating sandwich after sandwich after, you know, platefuls of eggs and cheese and meat and everything. I was, I was psychologically, you know, so starved that I thought, you know, at least I have no, I, I don't have to make way in this week. <laughs> and I went up from 120 to 145 in one week. Some of it was water weight, I'm sure. Uh, and I remember that experience to the point where when I had a chance to play high school football and I was a good player my freshman year, the coach said, all you have to do is cut down from 165 where you weigh down to 160 and you'll make the freshman team. And I looked Rudy Castillo in the eye and I said, not a chance. I'm not going to lose a pound. And he looked at me and he said, boy, you're pretty lazy, aren't you? I said, you don't know what's in my mind. I have no interest in dropping even one pound to play a game. I'll play on the B team against the 190 pounders. I'm going up a, a, a division which I did. I went up to freshman, sophomore. I became a starting running back and I weighed 165 and I never lost a pound again. 
by the time I was in high school, my uh, junior and senior year, I got up to about one, uh, 180 because I wanted to be Nick Bonacani, my idol at the Miami Dolphins, who was a middle linebacker playing the NFL at 190 pounds and five foot eight. And I went to USC, I got a scholarship not to play ball. I actually had uh, two scholarships to play for BYU and UCLA football. And I went and got a scholastic scholarship at USC. At that time, I weighed 210 pounds. And shortly after that, in the Turkey Bowl, I was playing against some police officers and I had a stroke, a TIA, transient ischemic attack, a small stroke and I fell to the ground. And I was on blood pressure medications my whole high school time when I tried to gain weight. I no salt, no sugar, just a lot of protein. And I thought that was healthy. I thought it was okay to eat 12 eggs a day and meat and cheese to bulk up to play professional football someday and you know have my dreams of playing in college. So I just remember walking up the stairs and being out of breath and even though I was exercising I had gained so much weight it was beyond my frame to carry and my blood was so thick and my arteries were clogging up and so I started studying about diet and nutrition and health and I read a book called Live Longer Now by Nathan Pritikin and it made sense. He said there's not a culture in the world that eats rice, vegetables and fruit, soups and salads, and does not subsist on meat, cheese, eggs and dairy product that has high blood pressure. There's not a culture in the world that suffers from strokes or heart attacks who follows this kind of a diet and healthy program. So I decided to change my diet. I didn't say I would restrict my food intake, I said I would change my diet. Which I did. Changed my diet, ate a lot of rice, vegetables, soups, salads, fruits. But at the time, I wasn't willing to give up meat, so I ate lean chicken and lean fish for a year. And I dropped weight. I dropped from over 220, 210, 220, down to uh, about 165, 170, which was a good weight for me. But my blood pressure was still high. Even though I'd given up salt, and my cholesterol was still high. So finally, I met with Nathan Pritikin at a conference and I showed him my before after pictures and he was impressed. And he said, come work for me. You'd be great to help out at the Pritikin Longevity Center. So as I was there, I learned about what they call the regression diet. And it, they taught us that if you have high cholesterol, fish and chicken has as much cholesterol as red meat. So I thought, oh wow. So here I'm a health educator working for Nathan Pritikin and I can't get my cholesterol down so I'm going to have to give up fish and chicken and turkey. I didn't want to do it. But I thought to lower my cholesterol and lower my blood pressure I was willing to do it. So I did. And I did it a day at a time. Instead of ordering a, a, a chicken rice burrito, I ate a bean and rice burrito. Instead of having you know, meatballs and, and um, spaghetti, I had whole wheat spaghetti, fat-free spaghetti sauce, and, and no meat. So every day I try to figure out how I could make a meal without meat, without fish, without chicken, without turkey. And I did it for a full year. My cholesterol came down. My blood pressure came down. And I got off the blood pressure medications. And I realized that what everyone's taught about losing weight and getting in, in shape is usually the Paleolithic diet. Eat a lot of fish and chicken, turkey, and vegetables. And they may lose weight, 
but they're clogging their arteries. Salmon has 75% fat. Salmon has as much cholesterol as red meat. Tuna has even more cholesterol than red meat. And so it wasn't an easy thing to deal with, but I thought my health was worth preserving. And I taught many, many people over a 30-year period through diet and exercise and lifestyle changes to the point where I had people who were over 200 pounds overweight. And I remember a guy named John. He was a real estate agent in Huntington Beach. And he came to my classes just like these. And I gave him information, inspiration. And about every other week, we'd have a food demonstration class. So we'd prepare foods for them. And they started uh, following the recipes that they learned at the classes. And at the end of the six-week course, they were asked to do a uh, potluck, bring the dish that they had learned how to make or liked the most. And I remember almost every class member would come up to me and they'd say, you know that first week and the second and third week I almost dropped out because the food was awful. I couldn't taste any salt, any sugar, there was no fat in the foods. I, I, I don't know how you live this way. But you know what, on the sixth week when we did the potluck, didn't you like my recipe? Wasn't it great? And I looked at them and I thought, you know what, it tastes exactly the same as the first week but their taste buds had changed after six weeks. And their recipe was no better, in fact it was just as tasteless as the first recipes we tried. But it gave me the inspiration to make a cookbook and it took me 12 years and we gathered up recipes from all over the world, tasty healthy recipes, and we taught people to spice them up a little more so they wouldn't get so discouraged in the first couple weeks and make them flavorful enough that they would enjoy the foods and stick with them. How many here like Thai food? How about uh, Inca Peruvian grill food? How about, say, variations on Vietnamese or Chinese food? How about Greek food? There's cuisines all over the world that have figured out how to make foods as grown tasty and healthy with delightful spices and nutrition without adding a bunch of oils and meat and cheese. So that cookbook is about due to be re-released, and we're going to release a new cookbook. And I'm here to tell you that whether you have a genetic tendency to being overweight, a hormonal tendency to being overweight, or a psychological issue, or you're stressed, and you can't get rid of that last 15 or 20 pounds, or like some of you, when you're stressed, you eat more food than you should, that you truly can accomplish the goals. In the U.S., it's been projected uh, and estimated that we spend over a trillion dollars on lost revenues due to stroke, heart attack, hypertension, cancer, and most of it related to obesity and improper food selections. The U.S. Surgeon General stated that most degenerative diseases are preventable and reversible. There is definitely proof that many people have a genetic tendency to be born with over 75 billion fat cells. Compared to those with only 30 billion fat cells, those people with 30 billion fat cells are the type that eat anything they want and they never gain weight. They always look good and you hate them. <laughs> they can just eat anything. And they even brag how they can eat anything they want. And they're skinny as a rail because they just don't have the stored cells, but are their arteries clean on the inside? Do they have the risk of heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, cancer? Of course they do. And they're a greater risk because there's no way for them to know 
that their arteries are clogging up because there's no nerve veins in their arteries and the cells are mutating and changing. So they're going to be obese internally in their arteries, not on the external. Those of you who have external obesity, I know what you're going through because I went through it. But now 30 years later, I've been able to keep the weight off just like my friend John, the real estate agent, who dropped over 200 pounds and learned through weekly classes a lifestyle approach without having to do surgery, without having to do lipo and, and gastric bypass surgery or take chemicals or drugs just through exercise, eating healthy and supplements and a change of his mindset. He had to change his mind about what he was doing. He had to make the decision that it was worthwhile to shrink the fat cells because you'll never decrease the number of fat cells. If you're obese, those fat cells are waiting for you one day to go back to your old way of eating. That's why 95% of all diets and health programs fail because they're only quick weight loss schemes. And I'm going to show you the quick weight loss schemes so you can understand that during the first three months, you may not lose weight as fast as other people during the first three months on this program, but you'll surely reduce fat quicker on this program. And that's what I want to share with you. If we look then at the solution, it's through a healthier diet, which what I call superfoods. And remember, I am completely opposed to diet in the terms of restriction of food based on starvation, based on my own personal experience. I would never subject you to that. It's not necessary. And nor is it safe or healthy. I would tell you that fitness plays a big role. Exercise, and not just the traditional aerobics, but building up muscle to burn more body fat and sculpture the body. That's going to help you to get the, re the results you want. And balancing your hormones, even if they've never been balanced properly. No matter what age you are, and particularly as you get older, the hormones will change and it will, for many people, if they've even been lean most of their life, they'll tend to gain fat. And for the first time, some of these people were skinny all their life are going, how come I'm also gaining fat? You know? And then, because they have no lifestyle habits, they gain it and it's difficult for them to lose it. And what about the mind? Is it unfair for me to condition you and give you tools and techniques to reprogram your mind over the next seven days so that within the next 30 days you read a simple little script for 15 minutes and will help you to reprogram so that you will then start making better selections? Is it unfair or is it unfair that your television that you grew up as I did and now the internet and all the massive amount of beer commercials and chip commercials and fast food commercials and all these gorgeous looking people on these you know, fast food chain uh, advertisements, in including Subway, they advertise how they're the, the, you know, one of the best weight loss you know, foods to eat. I'm like, okay, so how many people actually order what I order at Subway? You know, uh, a salad plate, uh, you know, if you're allergic to the gluten and, uh, and without the added oils and fats and the cheeses and the meats in Subway, so, regardless, there is a, a big tendency to fall prey to myths. Myths come about because they do help you to lose weight, but let's be very clear about the definition of your goal. How many here want to lose 20 pounds that's constituted of body water, 
your intestines hold 10 pounds worth of food in them, which is made up principally of the remainders be between bowel movements, and or burn a body muscle. So if you lose 20 pounds, what did you accomplish? Or would you rather lose 20 to 50 pounds of fat, retain your muscle, retain your organs, do not dehydrate, and accomplish your goal even though it will take you more months. It definitely will take you longer than three months to lose 40 to 50 to 60 pounds of fat. But imagine, if it's 4,000 calories that makes one pound of fat, that's one pound of fat per week. How many weeks in a year is 52 weeks in a year? So if you average that and you drop between one and two pounds of fat per week, you've lost I would say probably quite close to any of your goal weight here in this room of 50 to 100 pounds of fat. And fat takes up more space in muscle. Fat has no water in it. So when you lose a pound of fat, it's a big glob. When you lose a pound of muscle or water, it's a very small portion of the body. So when you're losing fat, you're sculpturing and changing the look of the body. So as the indicated notes here, digestive tract empties due to starvation meaning you decide to stop eating for three days to look good for the wedding and you drop seven to ten pounds of the food content that was in your 32 feet of intestines. Now that's a complete illusion, isn't it? That's not permanent. You're going to have to eat someday soon. And dehydration. You could drop somewhere between five and ten pounds of water in one to two days by subjecting yourself to heat, or some of these people wear these uh, sweat outfits or they get in the saunas. Wrestlers are notorious for that. And I'm going to share with you some examples of that. And diuretics are the worst. But your water is your life source. You know the leading cause of death in people losing weight is not due to anything other than and you might think it has something to do with protein starvation, et cetera, et cetera. No, you would die far sooner from water dehydration than you would ever die from protein uh, metabolism or fat loss or body tissue loss. So let's go a step further. You say, well, hey, a piece of chicken has just as few calories as a big bowl of, of raw vegetable salad with fat-free salad dressing. Now, I beg to differ with you. If that chicken has 200 calories in that three ounces, is there any fiber in the chicken? What's the definition of fiber? Anyone? When it comes to calories, what's its definition? Fiber has what? A lot of calories or what? No calories. No calories. By definition, in your digestive gut, it cannot be digested unlike a cow or a rabbit, which can digest greens and, and fibrous materials. Your gut allows the transport of fiber through the intestines and out without contributing any calories. So the way we determine calories is in, in science and in nutrition, we use what's called a bomb calorimeter. So let's say we take a pound of broccoli and we burn it and it liberates a certain amount of calories that equals, let's just say, for sake of our discussion, 100 calories. 
but we then take the same amount of chicken or fish or turkey or egg or cheese and we burn it and it liberates 100 calories. But the difference is the fish, chicken, turkey, and egg and cheese is completely metabolized, digested, and absorbed 100% into your fatty tissue and into your body for calorie storage. The difference with the broccoli is it's mostly water and fiber, and most of it, except for maybe less than 19 calories in all of the broccoli, which is the form of glucose, which is easily metabolized, passes out of your system forever. Not retained like the fish, chicken, turkey, and the Paleolithic diet, and all these people telling you that lean meats are a great way to lose weight. Why do lean meats help people to lose weight faster initially? What is different about lean sole, fish without the fat, or lean chicken, and I'm telling you, take the skin off, as compared to eating a bowl of broccoli, cabbage, or, um, or fruit, or vegetables? Would you say there's a difference in the protein content? Is anyone here aware of the difference between the amount of water it requires to digest 100 calories of protein compared to 100 calories of fibrous fruits and vegetables. First off, the fibrous fruits and vegetables, like let's say you bite into a tomato or a carrot or an apple, what squirts out? Water. Does water have calories? No. no. When you bite into chicken, fish, or tuna, or shrimp, or eggs, does much, well eggs maybe, but after it's cooked, does much squirt out? No, there's hardly any water in lean meat. Cook it, watch it, look at it. Put a baked potato in a microwave and bake it to the highest temperature for 10 minutes. What happens to the potato? Shrivels up, nearly gone. What's left? A little fibrous material and all the water's gone. Potato is the ultimate fat loss material. And every person will tell you potatoes fattening. Oh, it's what you put on it. But a potato will help you to lose weight. When I want to drop body fat, I eat a lot of potatoes. Sweet. Now that's the difference. Baked potato from russet, red rose, or golden, those are lighter physically in your hand. And when you bake them or cook them or mashed potato, whatever you put on them, at least they'll be conducive to fat loss. But yams, hold them and, and put them in a microwave. They don't disappear. They have a lot of food density. Yams and sweet potatoes are designed to allow cultures to subsist and live on and have the caloric density to allow you to live on. The longest lived culture in the world consumes principally purple sweet potatoes. One of the healthiest cultures in the world, the New Guinea natives, eat sweet potatoes and their leaves. So if you're trying to lose weight, I encourage you to eat regular potatoes. If you're trying to maintain your weight and you've reached your ideal body weight, then sweet potatoes and yams, purple sweet potatoes and so forth are better for weight maintenance. But let's go back to our original premise. If you put that piece of chicken in the microwave and you zap it for 20 minutes at high, what happens, to the, what happens to the chicken? How much of it is left in there? It gets crispy, but it's mostly there, isn't it? Unless it turns black and you, you, know, you chart it. 
<clears throat> but most of it has caloric density. So a calorie doesn't equal a calorie. Only in a bomb calorimeter will you burn the food. In your body it acts differently. So fiber acts as a temporary gain in weight. And that's going to be discouraging for some of you. Because you're used to stepping on the weight scale and wanting to see the weight drop. So let's say you eat four potatoes a day compared to a piece of chicken which has the same number of calories. Chicken because it's nearly, let's say, sole fish or chicken is somewhere between 80 and 90 percent protein. What is required to digest protein in massive amounts? Eight times more of it than it does to digest any complex carbohydrate or fiber or glucose molecule. Eight times more. What is the substance? Water. So every time you go on a fish chicken diet, what happens to your body fluids? You dehydrate. You artificially lose weight and you are led to believe that you are losing weight. When it's deception. It's another deceptive diet that you've been led to believe by you know, all these weight loss experts. Many of which are genetically fit and thin, these gorgeous, beautiful, thin blondes that eat anything they want, but they happen to tell you fish and chicken's great for you, along with some vegetables. Why not teach the obese, the genetically obese, and the people who are emotionally starved, and the people who have weight problems due to hormonal issues, the correct information? Why keep misleading people? I'm not saying you never should eat fish, chicken, or turkey, etc. I'm just saying in proportion, if you really want to drop body fat and not just lose weight through deception of water dehydration, you'll go the direction that I'm pointing you. So the fluids will re regain after your body adjusts from eating that high protein diet. You just drank extra water. It'll, re it'll regain. That initial excitement about being on a high-protein diet of dropping the weight will, will be gone. And then the calories from the fish, chicken, and turkey meat will be gained. And where will it be stored? Wherever you store fat the best. So eating complex carbohydrates require no water, virtually no water to digest because they already have water intact and it's very easy to digest complex carbohydrates. The fiber content is non-digestible and when you burn them they liberate carbon dioxide which you exhale, water which you excrete and they burn 100% efficient. There isn't a fuel out there that burns 100% efficient but your body's so perfect and it was so perfectly designed to chew up fibrous foods all day long because our rainforest ancestors foraged for fruits and vegetables and tubers and pulled them up and ate mostly raw food and figured out ways to sustain the body and maintain a good body weight without any waste product. So the purest form of energy. But when you burn fat, it leaves 4% waste product called ketones. It's what a diabetic dies of, ketoacidosis. When you burn protein, it burns with a lot of waste product, 30% waste product. And so your kidneys, as you get older, start to become damaged and you're facing kidney dialysis and your life won't be very long if you're subjected to kidney dialysis. 
It's a very wealthy industry for the medical profession to hook you up to kidney dialysis. Every patient's worth a lot of money on kidney dialysis because all Medicare, all medical insurances pay for and approved instead of putting you on a low protein, high fiber, high complex carbohydrate diet, which would preserve your kidneys the way Dr. Kempner did when he put people who were facing kidney dialysis on a rice fruit diet and he saved every one of their kidneys. And the average person dropped 146 pounds in one year on this rice fruit diet. And yet, the medical profession ignores it. The average person isn't aware of it. Dr. Kelly and West rediscovered it in the 1960s. Dr. Anderson discovered it in the 1970s. Nathan Pritikin discovered it and taught me. And now I'm teaching you that if you want to reverse diabetes, obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, and many of the chronic diseases, you can do it. So I like to study monkeys, and monkeys like to study me. There was a study by NIH, and since 1973, it was called the Hansen Study. And they freely allowed monkeys to eat healthy foods. Let me qualify this. They were given healthy foods, but as much as they could possibly have. They could choose to continue to eat or stop eating, depending on the individual monkey. They were allowed to eat ad lib. Some of the monkeys became obese. Some of them even developed diabetes from overeating and others remained lean and limited their calorie intake. The only way the researchers were able to get the monkeys to achieve ideal body weight was to limit the genetic tendency monkeys on the amount of food they were allowed to eat every day. Sufficient to meet their calorie and activity levels, they were then able to prevent diabetes and obesity. Now we have a problem. In the zoos in Japan and around the world, not just the macaw, but other monkeys that I love to visit and, and uh, observe, the people feed them their food leftovers from their hamburgers, from their bread, from their cheese, from their candy wrappers left at the zoo. And they're worried about the monkeys getting enough food. Because have you ever watched monkeys eat? When food is put out for monkeys, what happens within the dominant versus the smaller monkeys and the baby monkeys and the mommy monkeys? Does anyone know the order of eating? I've watched it many times. When food is set out in the wild, the monkeys jump down from the trees and the big dominant monkeys eat first. If one of the little baby monkeys comes up, or one of the rival smaller monkeys, or the female monkey, the dominant male monkey does this, whap, and knocks that little monkey out of the way, and he never comes close till the dominant monkey's done eating. Then, who's next to eat? Usually, the mother monkey, alpha female monkey, comes to eat, with the baby on her back, and then the little uncle, the small baby monkeys, you know, the little teenage monkeys come to eat, then the littlest monkeys eat last. So people see this in the zoo, and they worry, and they go, let's feed that little small monkey. Let's make sure he gets food. But the big monkeys are so quick, and they've trained the little monkeys to get out of the way, the little monkeys get out of the way, and the big monkey gets the food first. Anyway. So do some monkeys starve? I don't know. I haven't seen starving monkeys in the wild. Um, they find a way to eat. They get their food. They're just not as big. 
they're not as fat. Look at this fat monkey. The article said that the fat monkey got fat from eating the sweet bananas, the sweet potatoes first, and leaving the healthier vegetables and the fibrous grains last. I would tell you that the, art, the note above where it said the visitors' candy wrappers and the remains from their leftover meals and the peanut shells was probably the real reason why the monkeys got real fat. Now, don't get me wrong, eating healthy food could still cause a genetic tendency monkey to gain weight, but not this fat. That monkey is fat. Monkeys usually weigh about 15 kilos, and they're coming in weighing towards 50 kilos, which kilos 2.2 pounds, so a 100-pound monkey instead of a 30-pound monkey. That's a fat monkey. And we got a lot of fat monkeys in the zoos now. So they try and put signs, do not feed the monkeys. And the people feed the monkeys because they see the little monkeys not eating as much as the big monkeys. So what happens in humans? Genetically, there is a tendency, if you're offered all you can eat, and there's no restriction on when you eat and how often you eat, that monkeys, rats, and humans offered unlimited healthy or unhealthy foods will become obese. Now, what does that tell you in the wild? Genetically, a monkey that could gain more weight during times of famine when less food's available, that monkey's going to survive, right? So, Genetically, that is in your favor, survival-wise, if you're overweight right now. You would have survived in the rainforest when other monkeys and other animals wouldn't have survived. Because what you do eat, you can hold on to those calories better than those that can't. So the real skinny ones that we all don't like, those people, they would have died off during famine times. So selectively, you've been chosen to be one who gains fat easily and retains it. Does that make sense? So Reese's monkeys. Genetics prove that a strict caloric limit on even healthy foods could prevent obesity and diabetes. And it is possible that the hormones can be corrected to improve the odds to overcome genetic tendencies. I suspect that many people with genetic tendencies have in their own family uh, tree, their own genetics, the tendency to have fat retention hormones that we can correct, that with my knowledge and what I can share with you, we can actually counterbalance in addition to the diet and the exercise and the mindset that I'm going to help you with. How many here are interested in learning how to do that? Make sense? So humans were put on the ape diet. Do you know what country now in Europe is the fattest culture in Europe? What, what country? UK has surpassed. UK. United Kingdom, Great Britain. One and two are obese. I've been to Great Britain. I've been to the UK. I see what they eat. They eat basically westernized foods. There's something about the Germans and the Italians and the French. They seem to eat smaller portions, even though it's not what I would call the healthiest foods. The Greek eat what we call the Mediterranean diet, and that tends to be higher fiber foods. But they tend to go to fruit stands and eat more vegetables and fruit, even in Italy, right? But in the UK, you know, it's, it's just basically bland food with a lot of meat and bread and things like that. 
So um, Lynn Garton at King's uh, College Hospital in London uh, designed a diet based on what she observed monkeys to eat. And she provided 11 pounds of food a day for the humans. And it included uh, hazelnuts, vegetables, watercress, broccoli, carrots, cabbage, tomatoes, radishes, fruit, strawberry, melons, figs, bananas, mango, and honey. The average human reduced their cholesterol by 23%. <clears throat> the uh, average individual dropped their blood pressure from 140 over 83 to 122 over 76 within a normal range. The average person dropped nearly 10 pounds of body fat within the month and the average person's cholesterol level improved significantly. Was that in 12 days? Oh, <laughs> forgive me, you're right. It was not a month, it was 12 days. It was 12 days to accomplish those results. That's pretty impressive. So, we look at that and we compare to, how many of you ever watched the TV show The Biggest Loser? I was reading statistics that to be a member or to be part of that whole thing that something about it's it's like a multi-million dollar operation I mean with the number of people that submit their diet plans and their records and then I guess the winner earns upward to what two hundred fifty thousand dollars have you heard I mean I don't know what the prize is but I think that's what I heard so there's a lot of inducement to take part in this television weekly is it a weekly show I, I I've seen it once I think so Ryan Benson on his blog of how he was the first winner in the biggest loser consume basically water lemon juice maple syrup and cayenne pepper so is there anything with hardly any calories in that he also dehydrated by using a wrestling trick he used learned when he was in wrestling with a rubber suit jogging on a treadmill and living in a steam room the last 24 hours he lost 13 pounds of pure water to the point where he was peeing blood no drugs are allowed to lose weight in this particular competition, but it is okay to starve and dehydrate. The winner, this same gentleman, Ryan Benson, regained within two years from 208 back up to 300 pounds. Had he learned anything about healthy eating habits from what he did? The promotion of drastic weight loss is a disaster. Uh, Kaya, age 28, an aerobic instructor out of Alaska, says she spent the night before her final weigh-in hopping in and out of a sauna for six hours, consuming only sugar-free jello for several days, and wolfing down asparagus, which is a natural diuretic. By the way, that was the only good thing she did. Asparagus are great. Why would asparagus cause you to lose more weight than other vegetables? Anyone know? No, most vegetables are high in fiber. What's the difference on, on asparagus versus, say, I don't know, um, uh, carrots. What's the difference? Cause you to detox in some way. I know that it I gave you a hint earlier of the comparison of two different food groups that would cause rapid dehydration versus uh, retention of, of uh, fluid and not needing as much water to dehydrate. Protein. protein. Asparagus are nearly 70% protein. They're very high in protein, so they're a natural diuretic. So by eating lots of asparagus, your pee will stink for a while because of the pungent uh, acid that's in asparagus. Some people think that they are a uh, sexual enhancer. That's debatable. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But they will act as a nat natural diuretic. 
And I, I, I see nothing wrong with eating a lot of asparagus, but I also would encourage you to eat a lot of other vegetables. Does that hold true if it's steamed versus raw? Yep, steamed, raw, just don't add a bunch of oil to the asparagus because the oil is going to retain as calories, as fat. So can you dehydrate and die? Absolutely. The fluid in your body is like the radiator to cool down your body during heat, humidity, intense effort, perspiration. If your urine is going yellow, it happens far before thirst and you are severely dehydrated. And most Americans, most Westerners have yellow urine. I mean, I happen to visit urinals like you do. And instead of urine being clear like my little baby who's always hydrated, three and a half years old, consuming fruits and vegetables and healthy foods, and as a baby, babies are very hydrated. As you get older, you shrivel up like a prune and you develop more wrinkles and you lose water and dehydrate. So dehydration is not a good thing. From a look standpoint, but worse, from a cellular standpoint, the risk of death. Wrestlers, if they lose as much as 4% a body weight after dehydration showed a 30% drop in muscular performance that lasted for up to four hours, even after rehydrating. The performance levels only rose back up to one half the level. So dehydration is not a safe or a good thing from an athletic standpoint. And listen to this, five to 10% loss of body water, uh, body weight from low solid fluid, light can cause lightheadedness, cramps, nausea, dizzy, dizziness, vomiting, chills, disorientation, convulsion, and even death. <clears throat> this has become very common in the bodybuilding community. Do you know how they have ripped six-pack? You think, oh, they're bodybuilders, they lift weights, they get big and strong, you know, like Arnold, they, you know, they, they lift weights, right? And you think you could blame the anabolic steroids. Well, the steroids get their muscles big, but it doesn't cause the muscles to, to show. They know that to look in contest shape, they have to be big, muscular, and their words, dry. They take massive amounts of diuretics to dry and dehydrate their body. Listen to this. Diuretics combined with starvation diets has resulted in more confirmed deaths, coronary events, kidney problems, emergency room visits than steroid use combined. Steroid abuse is not the danger as overuse of diuretics. In fact, diuretics are almost viewed as safe compared to steroids. In 1992, pro bodybuilder Mohammed uh, Benazizia, shown here, dies after competing in a contest in Europe, looking as good as he does here. An autopsy showed that he was severely dehydrated and experienced cardiovascular failure. He was age 33. He had used a combination of diuretics in 1998, Pro bodybuilder Albert Beckles collapsed convulsions while on stage at the Arnold Classic, I believe it was, or uh, another competition. He subsequently was resuscitated uh, by paramedics and found to be suffering from diuretic-induced dehydration. Do you know how many bodybuilders you've not been told died from diuretics? One of my doctor friends came to my office here less than a month or two ago Dr. George, and he said his personal coach, who's a bodybuilder, was teaching him to eat lean protein meats and to use diuretics to get into contest shape. He looked so phenomenal, he not only had a six-pack, he had an eight-pack. And that day, on stage, backstage, he 
died before he stepped up on stage to show off his muscles. Dead. Supposedly pursuing physical perfection and yet it's an illusion. So stop trying to get a six pack or an eight pack. If you have a six pack or eight pack and you're hydrated and you're muscular and you have a low body fat level, then you've done it through natural methods and you didn't do it dry and steroid diuretic up. <clears throat> Look at the bottom uh, of the screen. Al Beckles, diuretics, Lasix and insulin, he approached near death on two occasions. Now here's the good thing about Al Beckles. Number one in the world, most muscular, Albert Beckles, first place winner, won number two in Mr. Olympiad Championship. He beat Lou Ferrigno in the Night of the Champions, the Hulk, right? He won number one in the Grand Prix Bodybuilding Championship, all with no red meat. He's a vegetarian who only eats chicken. I would tell him he doesn't need the chicken. But he certainly didn't need the diuretics. But he did to compete to look bitter, bigger, more ripped, and more muscular. Look at his back. I mean, it's the black gentleman. Look at his back. Look at the muscle definition. He's freaky muscular. And that's what it takes, diuretics, to get freaky muscular. Bodybuilding champion. I, I, I would qualify that. There is a way to get freaky muscular through correcting your hormones, eating healthy, and being fully hydrated. You may not have that final little bit of last edge of, you know, of, of dehydration that makes you a little bit more muscular looking, cut, but you'll still look, you'll look freaky good. And it would take a little genetics too, because some of the guys, I'll show you in a minute what I mean by genetics. The bodybuilding champion, Mr. International, Andreas Colling, was always in the vegetarian articles. And he, he didn't eat chicken. He was complete vegetarian. Um, Bill Pearl was vegetarian and in phenomenal shape. So it's not about eating meat to get muscular. It's about understanding hormones, hydration level, activity level, food consumption. Mike Menser, probably the greatest bodybuilder of all time, the most scientific bodybuilder ever, shown with his arms extended out with his biceps like that. Often quoted, it took less than 50 grams of protein a day, which you would easily get on a high fiber potato, rice, vegetable diet. He was the only Mr. Universe to score a perfect 300 in history. Notice the genetics though, his brother, identical. You know his father had identical huge calves and forearms and his father never worked out a day in his life. Genetics plays a huge role in how muscular you can get. I'll never have the chest of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold has genetics for a huge chest and huge biceps. I just don't have the genetics. I'll be as muscular and as large and physically fit as my genetics of Spanish surname and Latin background and a little Indian and German allow for. But the Austrian oak has genetics to have a big chest just like his father and his arms. Just like Mike Menser. Dorian Yates, another example from the UK, and all these guys use steroids, don't get me wrong, 
they all know how to manipulate hormones. But you know there's a difference between synthetic steroids and natural hormones optimized where your testosterone is where it needs to be to youthful levels. And you can get really good levels without having to take synthetic steroids. Uh, look at the size of this gentleman here. Um, I mean, they almost look like cartoon figures. They're so big and muscular and huge. So starvation diets tend to cause you to lose muscle, but the way they overcome that is they take massive amounts of insulin, growth hormone, and testosterone, and they take drugs to suppress estrogen levels, and they get very, very big while they're lifting weights. So 95% of these crash diets fail because most people don't know how to sustain their hormone levels while sustaining their body water levels and their lean tissue. So a woman can get in pretty good shape. A woman can get in pretty good shape too. She doesn't have to be this muscular. It's to some people not so attractive. But I will tell you that if you want to get in good shape, you don't want to do it through serious dehydration which causes wrinkles in the body and a serious decline in hormone levels. You need to sustain your hormone levels and one of the things I suggest to you that with our group is you have your hormones checked by saliva or 24-hour urine and we measure what your hormone levels are and you maintain your hormone levels while you're reducing body fat. While you're building up muscle, you're reducing fat, retaining your lean body mass and your fluids and you're not developing additional wrinkles and you're looking better and feeling better. Take a look at this, a vegan raw diet versus a high fat protein diet. Uh, you can see her before after picture, pretty phenomenal. She's looking real good. She's some actress, uh, Leah Michelle. Have you heard of her? Many of you have heard of uh, Tyson, uh, the boxer. Look how big he got now after following a vegan diet without eating meat, fish, chicken, turkey, eggs, or dairy product. Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson. Right there. That's Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. So a high vegetable, fruit, low-fat diet, and by the way, Tyson, well, my, like most athletes, he looked hormonally enhanced, let's just say. So whether he's a vegetarian or a meat-eater is not the question. Remember, to, to manifest your genetics, you need to optimize your hormone levels and you need to eat the optimum diet. Don't fall prey to thinking that all these people who are most of these athletes are big and muscular because they ate so much protein. They didn't. They had genetics, they had hormones going for them, and they basically you know, were training excessively. So you combine all that, you can take the athlete of the future and they'll be doing what I'm teaching athletes to do now. So men and women on a high-fat, high-protein diet, low-carb diet, lost 13% body fat, uh, body weight that is, but regained it after one year. Those on a low-fat, high-vegetable, high-vegan, near-raw food diet, they dropped 18% body weight and continued to lose the fat until they reached their goal weight and did not regain it. There was improvements in triglycerides and cholesterol, and that was all reported in preventive cardiology and annals of internal medicine. Um, HDL uh, usually, if it rose on a low-fat, high-fiber diet compared to HDL dropped on a high-protein, high-fat diet, 
it's not about increasing HDL. It's about lowering LDL, the bad cholesterol, and the HDL will drop a little bit. In this case, the fact that it even rose 9% is phenomenal. Hey guys, I got to tell you, the new coaching program has come out, and we're excited about the coaching program because the coaching program is at nickdelgado.com. We'd love to help to guide you, to coach you on your health journey. And now you can apply for the special coaching program. And you can also get our special book, Immune Rejuvenation. Just leave your name and email, and you're going to get one of the best books written on this whole subject. We are excited to know, end, and I got to tell you that, you know, the whole idea of immune rejuvenation has come. <music>